production of the Toll Network. This is Laser Knees number 82. Alright! Detectives! I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Thief Sentai Lupin Ranger versus Police Sentai Pot Ranger, episode 43, He's Come Back, and 44, The Truth Revealed. Surprisingly enough, both of these episodes were written by Kaneko Kauri. What? Yeah. No. You'd never guess, but... They are, okay. in fact, the writer. I was I was very surprised because this was a very, like, core story-heavy arc. So I had assumed yeah. it would be Komura. But it was it was Kaori. Our director for both was Nakazawa Shojiro, who did some great work. Absolutely. Yeah, there was, like, I'm, I'm going to mention it a little later, but there's a parkour scene in here that was just, mwah, it was beautiful. Yeah, there, there are some bits that are very well filmed. Uh, but before we get into all that, what's our what's our overall thoughts going on right now? Uh, overall, like the, this is some good Sentai. Yes, <laughs> this is real good for this Sentai. Like, which is like I mentioned this Sentai in particular because this has been actually a very good Sentai. <laughs> which, okay, I'm just gonna bring us down real quick because that's sort of a thing I wanted to mention this time round, because. Uh, Apparently, Sentai is not doing great money-wise for Toei, and if the next one doesn't do like Tokyujer good, which, quick aside, I'm very happy that Tokyujer is is a watermark because it deserves to be. But apparently, the franchise might end up going into hibernation for a bit if the next Sentai does not make a ton of money. And well, look. I definitely want to say that's sad. The real reason I bring it up is because I want to know what's up that Lupot isn't doing good, because uh, this has been, as I just said, a tremendously solid year of Sentai. Like, look, story-wise, it's had its ups and downs, but even when there have been moments I've not liked and a couple things I wish they'd have done differently, there's really nothing here to hate. And honestly, just so much to like. Finding out that apparently it's just not doing great, I confess, kind of blew my mind. Because, I mean, look at it. It's it's a clever series with a ton of neat hooks and some really clever toy design that seems both economical and easily expanded upon, which is great for both the manufacturer and the people who've got to buy the thing. Because as long as you've got a good striker and th- and just three of the other... Uh, vehicles, boom, you've got a robot, and then you can have bunches of different robots, just like on the show. It's it's very good. And of course, I confess there's a part of me that wonders if maybe the simplicity of the toys there may well be what tanked them. Uh, you know, because you're not selling a bunch of different robots. You're just selling additions to Goody, but then you don't have to manufacture all the robots, so I don't know all the economics of toy production, I'm afraid. And also, like, I don't really know the numbers they gotta hit for Super Sentai to be feasible to make year in, year out. And I can only really speak for someone who watches and only occasionally purchases toys, because, um, let's be honest, most of them are quite bad. And, and, honestly, I can't even meaningfully participate in helping the ad revenue go up, because... I am on the far side of an entirely different landmass, and they don't broadcast where I am. But still, this has just been a darn fine Sentai series. Maybe it's not even 
that this one's doing bad, but that they've all not been meeting projections for a while since our beloved trained children, or I don't know. Yeah, I'm just sad that this series, which has done a lot of really, really good stuff and upset my expectations for the better time and again, isn't one that's getting bucket loads of love from all sides, because... I, I worry that they won't understand that the cool camera work, the good fights, the cleverly designed toys are things that they should put in every other series, especially Zio, because um, Zio's toys, are they, they need better designing. I mean, like, I guess we'll see, but mostly I just, I just wanted to put out some kind of annoyance or bad feeling that Lupat isn't as big as I kind of feel like it should be. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame to hear that this is what's kind of on Toei's mind, because, I mean, we've had four Sentai since Tokyo, and the past two of them have been wildly ambitious, and it's that ambition that has made the best parts of them shine the way they did. But I think that ambition may also be part of the problem, in kind of a common Rider Hibiki-ish sort of way. Because for all that we're people in our 30s talking about Super Sentai on the internet, the show's core demographic is eight-year-olds. And ah, yeah. two opposing teams dancing around each other in a moral gray area in order to fight a common greater enemy might be a little high concept for a demographic that young. And I'm not underestimating kids, but... There's a lot going on conceptually in this show, and for kids at that age, in like a, you know, 7, 8 to 10 year old demographic, their sense of justice is a little more black and white at that age. And I feel like they may have a hard time relating to why the Pot Rangers see the Lupin Rangers as bad, when the kids who are watching see the Lupin Rangers constantly doing good and trying to save people and having this goal of wanting to save the lives of people they care about. And I'm guessing based on Siren Striker, which visibly is, that's a Pot Ranger toy. Yes, it is. That went to Lupin X. Yeah. And I'm guessing, like, that's kind of the signal that Maybe the Pot Rangers are the ones that have not had very good sales, and I feel like that kind of gray area in the narrative that is actually really well done... Really? Yeah. It's just, it's not quite something that a demographic that young can get the nuance of. And again, like, I'm not underestimating kids, it's just that's kind of a nuance you get in your maybe 12 to 14 range... Like, your common Rider age. Yeah. And I don't know much about the next Sentai coming up. I'm going in as blind as I can. It's, it's the way to be. You know, a couple things have gotten through my filters, but again, I know very little. But because I think... people don't tag their spoilers. Yeah, please, people. But I think the thing that we need right now, and this is, this is just me kind of speculating, is to kind of pull a common Rider Kabuto, theoretically and go back to basics and just grab a three-person team that you can maybe expand to five in, you know, that kind of Go Busters or Geki Ranger way with some villains that weigh very heavily in the narrative, again, like Geki Ranger or Tokuger or even how Bosco related in Gokaiger, 
just reset everything back to the basics, parse it down to a population-sparse, narrative-rich show, keep your gimmicks clear, clever, and uncomplicated. Kind of, again, like Gokaiger, you just had the Ranger keys. And that was simple, and they made so much money. Yep, basically all the money. And just keep it simple, and let your narrative carry the story, and get everything deeply involved in that narrative, and get it developed, and then you'll get the kids invested in the show. And then you can sell them that very clean, uncomplicated gimmick. But that's my two cents. Who knows where we'll be after next year. And if Sentai does end up going into hibernation for a bit, we can always go back into the 35 years of Sentai before we started this this podcast and look at any of that. I bet, I bet we could find something that either neither of us have seen or that we want to, like, discuss as a rewatch. I mean, honestly, because... I would love to go back and rewatch Gokaiger because I had only seen three other Sentai at the point that I'd watched Gokaiger, and a lot went over my head. Look, I'm not gonna lie. Any excuse to see, to watch the stupid sexy pirates do their thing. Like, there is, there's a lot that I don't clearly remember about Gokaiger. There were a lot of... Sh- I actually thought Kai from Maji Ranger was a major Gokaiger villain. I don't know how I came to that conclusion from that episode, but at the end of that episode, I'm like, okay, that guy's one of the main bad guys. And then he never showed up again. I was like, oh, what happened here? But I would love to kind of take an- take another swing at Gokaiger just because I remember so little of it. Uh, pro- anything that was... Any of the legacy stuff, I don't remember that clearly. Um, any of the Gokaiger-centric stuff I remember quite a bit better. But I would love to take another swing at that. I'm sure we can find other Sentai that we would love to, you know, take another ride at. Honestly, like, if we were doing that, we could just... Like, every episode is, okay, here's a two-parter about this Sentai. Let's go and look up some stuff about that Sentai. Have we seen it? Do we want to see it? What questions do we have? Yeah, I mean, look... If y'all want two hours of me talking about Bokenger, I can do that for you. I will do that for you, listeners. You have done that for them, listeners. And I'll do it again. Some of those those, uh, unsupervised children rider jumps, those were pretty burly. I don't know if we've actually done two hours, but honestly, it'd be kind of cool if we could just take two hours to just... Break it down. Why does this work? Who's this villain? What what bits are they capturing here? Yeah, I would I, I would love to crack apart Bokenger because I think honestly it's like the perfect Sentai. I could, I think for a certain for a certain paradigm of Sentai, I think you are definitely correct. Like it has to be within the context of other Sentai because so much of what it is is deconstructing other sentai not not so much deconstructing but subverting well it it exists in the context of those other sentai it it makes a lot less sense without the other sentai yeah like there there are so many things that are at the core of sentai that bokenger subverts that it subverts in such a way that i think is really quite brilliant but we'll see if you like if you'd like us to talk about that let us know 
Um, I mean, honestly, if, if Sentai will end up doing it anyway. If Sentai goes into hibernation, it'll happen. If it doesn't, it might happen anyway. And, you know, I'd be okay with that, honestly. I mean, look, I'm happy to give as much credit as I can to the handful of things I've seen from the next Sentai. Kind of looks whatever, if I'm honest. The bits I've seen, I mean, they're kind of stylish, but eh. I won't be interested until someone tells me a writer. I don't know. And I'm just over here like... We might have a writer. Right. I don't... What's that? I feel like at this point we have to know who the writer is. I just don't know well, offhand. Me either. Um, and I'm and clearly I'm, not going to go look I'm, it up because then I'll find out other things that I don't want to know. Yep. I was just like, and I, now I'm just physically pulling my hand away from the keyboard so that I don't look it up. Um, but I would actually love to sit down like with Bokenger and Gokaiger and Bokenger versus Super Sentai and talk about Aka Red. I would love... Cause it's it's surprising how much of Bokenger versus Super Sentai is setting up for Gokaiger. Like, when they sat down to do Gokaiger, they just started pulling out of that movie. It's really quite amusing. It's good stuff. But I guess since we're talking about good things, let's just... Let's get, like, the bad stuff from these episodes out of the way. Okay, really, I... There was only one thing. Um, and really, it's not that bad because it worked out fine. But just that bit where, like, Satoru tells Keitra... Like, Satoru runs in shooting at Noel and Noel runs off. And he's like, look, look, if he was innocent, he wouldn't have run away. Like, we're gonna talk more about all of that later, but I just need to put it out there. Like, my dude, you were shooting at him with a gun. That's a pretty dang decent reason for him to just book it out of there. Yeah. Like, look, I know fantasy cops are all about that bang-bang shooting nonsense, but, like, Keichiro is a friggin' professional and really shouldn't take that kind of thing from someone. Because, again, being a professional, he'd know that people don't hang around if you're shooting at them. And, indeed, that you shouldn't shoot at them, because sometimes they're, like, first off, you shouldn't shoot at people, generally. That's that's not just a rule for five-year-olds, that's a rule for police. Much as one might be surprised to find that out, given the news sometimes. Anyway, not gonna go there. But also because sometimes uh, the person you're shooting at is an awesome parkour dude, who can just pull off an awesome escape, because they think you want to kill them as evidenced by all the shooting. And I mean, like, in Keitro's defense, as, again, we're going to come back to this, at least that wasn't his reaction. Because I feel it's like a, a Keitro earlier in this show may have just been like, oh yeah, Noel ran, and thus he is probably guilty. But, you know, Keitro in episode 44, at this point in the show, is like, no, Noel was about to reach out to me and try to explain this. And, and ran off when that guy showed up. So something here doesn't feel right, and I need to take a step back and really think about this. That's our boy. I'm so that's proud of good, him. good boy. Uh, but, I mean, that's really all I think we had for downsides, because, again, this is a really solid couple episodes. Yeah, no, this, this is a really good arc. It was just, you know, that moment, and even then, like, the reaction to it was the right reaction. Yeah, uh, but... Hey, let's just get into the good stuff then, because uh, there's a bit more of that, so strap yourselves in, dear listener. Yeah. Um, I appreciate that they named Satoru in such a way to keep up the uh, Keisatsupan. Oh, dude, I didn't even notice that. That was that was the first thing I noticed, because I think that's, that's hysterical. Oh my, 
like I am I am so close to just waking up my partner who was asleep at the time of this recording to tell her that because she would appreciate it. That's that's real good. I feel so dumb for not noticing that. Just good call, Sona. Uh, I also appreciate that even though there's a DVD special or something about Satoru, it's entirely unnecessary for this arc. Like, I haven't watched it. I will maybe watch it eventually, but I haven't. And you don't need to have seen it to get this arc. Everything that you need is within these two episodes, and they're able to stand entirely on their own, which is great. Because this arc is really good. It really is. And, like, once I saw it, I I was sort of sad that I hadn't seen those DVD specials. Because, I mean, I, it was you know, about the other Patron Nigo, and I'm just like, I don't care about the one we've got now. I do not want a second one. I didn't know that it was like, oh, hey, this is his senpai. Which, yeah. But, like you said, you don't need to watch it. But even if you had watched it, I feel like that would only give you a slight hint that maybe things were off, which, you know, you were probably going to get pretty quick anyhow, unless the end of it was he got grabbed up by Zamigo, which, not impossible. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, that sounds like it probably could be the end of it. Yeah, but since our heroes don't know about Zamigo freezing people until, you know, recently... Uh, I'm guessing that if that happened, it happened well outside of their ability to see it. But anyway, it's just, like, the only thing as as a viewer you'd get would be, like, from the off, that's not him, or, hey, he's acting kind of funny and not like the guy we know, which, you know, that you... Which, I mean, they tell you very quickly into the episode anyway. Yeah, yeah, because he is, as previously mentioned rather more trigger-happy than he used to be, and, yeah, they they show it to you very quickly, but you would have had that extra couple seconds of, I knew it first, because I saw the thing. But you don't need to, and that's how supplemental material should go. Here's, here's a nudge-nudge, wink-wink for you, but for everyone else, there's still a good story. Yeah, and honestly, Which like, is... even if, if you do find that out in the special, I'm kind of glad I didn't watch it beforehand, because... Like, you know something is off with him, and, like, you kind of can tell pretty quickly that he's going to be a gangler because that's how this show works. But just having that, having the uncertainty, that's a thing that I enjoy. And also, uh, to, to throw back to our, our nitpick from earlier, I was actually very pleased to see that uh, if he was innocent, he wouldn't have run. Is a thing that a bunch of kids who are watching it are going to associate with villains who are playing the system for evil ends, even if they don't quite yet have that complicated concept down. They're still okay. So the bad guy says that. Gotcha. It's it's right up there with if you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. As things that I feel like we should all learn very early on are the things that bad guys say just before they start harming innocent people using the law, because uh. The law is a blunt instrument, which sucks, but also it's the only way to do it. Well, that we've met. Anyway, that's a lot more philosophy than I need to go. I'm sorry, Sona, do go on. Another thing I really appreciate about this arc is that even though it's about the previous Patron Nigo, it was never about Sakuya trying to live up to Satoru's previous reputation or role in the group. 
and a bunch of, you know, misunderstandings about Satoru, like, them wanting Satoru to rejoin the team, and Sakiya thinking that they all just like Satoru better than him. Because this arc had so much going on that was so important, but I feel like it's normally the sort of thing that would be the framework for this arc, and it would have really distracted from everything going on. Plus, like, Sakiya's come such a long way and found his place in the group and... You know, like, he knows who he is on this team and the role that he serves, and he knows that his team cares about him and wants him to be the best he can. And to walk all of that back to do that story, especially this close to the end of the show, feels like it just would have been a huge misstep. It really, really would have been. But also, like you said, not a misstep you would have been surprised to see them make. No, and I feel like if they did it very early in the show, it probably wouldn't have been a misstep. But at, oh, no, no. at episode, like, 43 and 44, after we've yeah. had all of these arcs about him learning who he is as part of this team, like, after after that arc about, like, where he was being puppeted, yeah, that would have, it just wouldn't have worked after that arc. No, it wouldn't, which... I mean, good on them for just not doing it. Like, I don't know that Sakuya's ever going to be a favorite or anything. In fact, I know that he's not going to be. But it is nice that he's at least no longer sitting at should be removed from the show entirely. I mean, like, I'm not saying I'm happy about those first bits because I'm still not. But I understand that sometimes it takes a while to figure out what you're doing with a character or how to write them or how to get that right nuance. It just... Sucks that early Sakiya sucked so bad. Yeah, like, I'm... Real, real bad. I'm not pleased with many of those early bits myself, but it's a nice comfort to still be able to say that I love every single Green Ranger instead of having to sigh and uncomfortably, like, work my way around him as the one exception. Ah. Uh. He's definitely... He's not a favorite. He's still, of the seven in this show, he's probably my least favorite of them. He's That's fair. probably going to be my least favorite Green Ranger, or at least, you know, down on the lower end of the list. But, you know, in the second half of this show, he's been real good, and I do. I have grown very fond of him. Yeah, well, cause, mostly because they, they toned down the, the horn dog aspect, and thank goodness. Yes. Speaking of things that would have been a huge misstep, uh, for all that Kaneko's writing has fallen into some nasty tropes sometimes, speaking of all of the Sakuya problems, yeah. I'm glad, you know, that it, as we mentioned, it didn't fall into everyone immediately misinterpreting Noelle's actions as guilt. Yeah, same. Because good on Kaneko for turning around on the making all the bad calls thing. Because, look, they were doing that for a hot minute there, and it sucked, and that that sort of thing would have rung so false here. Yeah, because... It would have made... It would have just checked me right out. Like, because Noelle does a lot of running away from the Pot Rangers in this arc, and it would have been so easy to have all of them say that, like, we caught him in these really compromising situations, and when we did, he ran off, so he's he's gotta be guilty. Even though, again, literally the only time he's ever running away is when Satoru is firing an actual gun at him. Yeah. Like I said, that shot of Keicho in the rain after Noelle runs off, 
Like, and really what, worried me. What a shot that was. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry to bust in, it's, but... Visually, mm, it's incredible. Gorgeous. And, you know, just the the thunder rolling in as Keitro's like, Hey, Noel, what's going on? And then, so you know, Satru shows up and starts firing, and he takes off, and then the rain hits. It was very well-timed and very well-shot. But even in that moment, Keitro knows he can't just presume guilt. Instead, all of them are like, he looks guilty, and this this is worrying us, so we've got to step back and examine this. We've got to understand what's happening. And I know this is jumping ahead to 44, but you've got those bits of Sakuya and Tsukasa being like, no, we both really believe in Noel. We want to trust him because he's been through all of this with us. And like they have, to, they sit down, they're like, these are all the things that's happened. These are all the leaks that have happened. And when they examine those, the case, none of it really adds up. And we've mentioned this a lot over the course of the show, but it would have been so easy to just make the Pot Rangers dumb and impulsive to let the Lupin Rangers shine. And I really appreciate that the show didn't cop out like that. Yeah, same, same. Like, not to bring everything always back to Lupin the Third, but, uh, one, I love Lupin the Third, And two, Lupin the Third is my entrance into the whole idea of R.C. and Lupin generally from which this show springs, but um, you don't care about Zenigata or anyone he rolls with in this or that adventure if they're bad at their jobs. Zenigata has to be a superlative inspector, otherwise like he's not worthy to be Lupin's prime antagonist and sometimes best friend. You know, it's complicated. But like, He's Zenigata is only let down by the fact that he thinks in three dimensions, whereas Lupin thinks like a mad trickster spirit from dimension 19. And so, too, must the Pat Rangers be excellent at their jobs, even if they can get caught up in trusting uh, an old friend slash colleague at first? Which, honestly, I really appreciate that it not only illustrates that the power of friendship can be abused, which... I feel like everyone should hate. We've, I, Sadly, most people I know have been there. I hope it's never happened to you, dear listener. People are awful, though, so commiserations if it has. But it also illustrates one of the big things that is so often swept under the rug in law enforcement, and y'all are just going to have to bear with me while I get explicitly political for a sec, but here's the thing. One rotten apple spoils the whole barrel means that if you let a rotten, decayed, diseased thing stay in a barrel, full, stay in close proximity to good versions of that same thing, the rot doesn't go away, it spreads. When the police talk about a few bad apples on the on the news, when they're like, yeah, you know, we've got a few bad apples who've, like, straight-up murdered people for no reason, or for reasons that are bad, and that should preclude someone from being a member of the police force, by keeping those bad apples in the figurative barrel that is the police force, they are essentially admitting to letting the entire for police force be spoiled and rotten and bad. And our heroes very nearly commit that same sin. It's not even because they're bad at their job at first. 
or really, it's not because they're bad at their jobs at all. It's not even because of, of any other larger reason. It's just that an old friend has come in from special assignment far away. Someone they trust. Some, someone they someone know. That, who, someone who they've known is the same kind of good cop that they are. Exactly. And who, and you know, has always just... wanted the best for civilians. Yeah, he's, he's on the same, we, we work to protect the people thing that they're on. But now he says that in order to protect the people and our entire way of life, we have to go dirty hairy on this one case. And, like, look, it's not hard for to understand how you'd get caught up in that. Like, not Satoru is, is coming here and he's surfing in on the real Satoru's social inertia, on their friendship, on their, on their love of, you know, whatever form that takes. And, like you say, they've, they've got... And it's only when they have that minute away from this guy and their obligations and their memories to stop and think that they realize that something is manipulating them. And I, again, I, I talk a lot about what is genre and demographic appropriate for saying certain things in your, in your children's adventure series. This is a superlative way to talk about police corruption without, like, scaring the kids with, oh yeah, all of these armed dudes, they could all be the most corrupt and evil. Because, look, I have a very complicated way I want to talk about the police, because do I agree that the police in their current incarnation are uh, suboptimal? Clearly. But also, like, someone's gotta do that job. That's a very good job to do. Stopping like, preventing crime and helping the people who are the victims of crime not have to worry about being the victims of that crime again by that same person. That's a very important function. So it's it's good that they found a way to be like, hey, kids, police corruption is real. It comes from a, an understandable place, and we must, therefore, be all the more vigilant against it. Which, um... Yeah, you know, as I say that out loud, so no, your bit about, yeah, this show's core demographic is eight-year-olds. <laughs> that, Again, it's good. a lot, I feel like this, a lot of this show is just, it's aimed a little too high, and I think the things that it's got going on are great. I think the oh, things yeah. that are, that need to be out there, I just feel like, you know, on a marketing level... It's aimed a little, <laughs> a little beyond. And again, like, this goes back to a lot of the stuff we talked about in Drive. And how I was I yeah. was trying to trying to give Drive the benefit of the doubt. And I got stabbed in the back repeatedly. Yeah. Because, Which, look, like, look, on that's... paper, on paper, the idea of the police is good and important. And God, is it messed up in practice. Yeah. Which, I mean, is in itself, I suppose one could say, uh, a very interesting commentary on on the 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 way police are. But uh, that there again, that's a bit much for a show in in Drive's case, whose core demographic is like ten, I think, ten year olds. Ten, ten to twelve, I believe. Yeah, ten to twelve is, year olds is yeah. the common rider demographic. Yeah, still a bit, still a bit intense. So. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry they to spin may out have like been, that. Uh, they may have been aiming a little high this year. Yeah, which, I mean, like, I applaud 
that they're aiming high, but it's just a shame. But yeah. I think I think out. you've got to put like those high ideas on like a single one or two episode arc level and not on the backbone of your entire show when your yeah. demographic is 8-year-olds. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. Which is cuz you know, stuff like that is in things like Bokenger, Geki Ranger, Gokaiger, all of that. There's an entire episode of Goanger that's about like, hey, the person that you're in a relationship with, you don't get to dictate the way they are. Really? Yes. It's an incredible oh, awesome. couple of episodes that is focused around the villains. Oh, it's, right, yeah. Like, that entire concept is is illustrated through the lady villain of Goanger and how she basically dismantled her whole society because that was happening to her. And it's, it's great, and I love it, it's not the backbone of this show. Yeah, no. And I feel like that's maybe where the past couple of seasons have kind of lost the audience. With the exception of Zuoger, because I just think there was nothing clear. There was no clear idea in that series, and it made the whole thing muddy. But, you know, like, Q-Ranger is this show about, you know, the good guys have already lost. And we're doing this big high concept rebellion taking back the universe and even like Ninja, i feel like there was just i mean i didn't watch a lot of Ninja, but just on the the basis of i feel like they tried to do shinkenger but more complicated yeah kind of yeah and you know that's kind of where the past four shows have fallen apart so i'm hoping you know Next year kind of dials it back, things are more simple on a conceptual level, and we can let, you know, the characters knowing each other and having interpersonal relationships be where all of the high concept stuff is. I think that would be, yeah, that would be pretty ideal. But, uh, coming, but you know, coming back we'll to Lupot, um, yes, like, sorry. Even, I mean, I, I spun out on that as much as anyone else, so. Um, I started it. But even though it's obvious from about eight minutes in that Satoru is a gangler, from that moment that Tsukasa brings up that, like, hey, didn't you not like chocolate? Even though he's like, oh, these chocolates are my favorite. She's like, wait, wait, though, what? Like, this arc really did keep me guessing as to how things were going to work out for Noelle. Because they do a really good job setting up all these seeds of doubt and laying out these these traps for Noel to get caught in, all of these compromising positions for him to be in, of him using Jim's computer in secret and him having, like, the card with his picture on it. Even though you spend the entire arc questioning, but you, it's like, but Satru's the bad guy. But how is, how is this happening with Noel? How is he setting up all of these things? Like, it's, it's clear that Satru isn't who he claims to be, but I'm still like, I know Noelle isn't bad, but what what's the explanation behind the things that are happening? It was, it was exciting. There was a lot of really good tension. Agreed, agreed. I mean, especially since they opened the show with, with uh, Noelle at the computer in the dark, in secret. Like, oh, okay, that's... Because, like, even though you know he's not a bad guy... Because, like, first off, he's our dude. And second, he's Good Striker's best friend. And, uh, Good Striker's not been wrong yet. 
But at the same time, like, there's only so many episodes left. So arrest would be out of the question, which could mean a lot of messed up stuff could come through. Uh, A joke over here early on was that Noel would end up being uh, the secret hidden end boss. And that would have been an interesting way to reveal it. But like you said, they they did a good job of setting up the tension. Because even though we know what we know, we don't know the future. And that's that's fun. Yeah, I mean, like, it's such a difficult balance to nail. And I have to give Kaneko credit for really hitting it perfectly for all of the other missteps they've had while writing in this show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's one of those things where I think if they're doing a thing later on, like if Kaneko Kaori gets tapped to do head writing gig somewhere, I mean, I don't know about you, I'm at least going to be going in with a cautious sense of optimism. Because when they nail stuff, even if it's pretty clear that they've had some difficulty getting into the heads of some other characters, which, you know, understandable, when they nail it, they nail it hard. Yeah, they're they're definitely someone who's got a lot of talent. They just really, they've got a lot of edges they've got to smooth over. Yep, got to work on the skill. Because talent's, talent's important, talent's nice, but unless you work at it, it's... You get the episodes that uh, where Saku gets fired, and we hated him the most. We didn't even really get fired. He just like, that movie episode happens. Ooh, yeah. Where, among other things, they film literal police propaganda. Yeah, I mean, look for for all that there was that bad stuff. I will say, in Kaneko's defense, early on. Did write the bit where Goody was sitting was sitting on that swing, having that conversation with Kyrie. Like I I know a lot of that was the directing and the prop department people, but still that scenario was still written by Kaneko Kyrie. So like I'm I can forgive a lot for that. Not everything. Not not screamy aggro Keichiro. I don't care for that. But a lot. There's there's a lot of things I I frankly cannot forgive at this stage. But I'd be willing to let them write as a secondary writer on a Sentai again for the things they've gotten right. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Then like after that one, they can come in and run a show. Yeah, just you know they've gotta they've gotta be a secondary writer on a couple more shows because they literally have no credits before the show. Yeah. No, no like commercials or DVD specials or anything. There's nothing. I don't know where this person came from. I, I just, I like the idea that maybe it's just someone who, like, sent in a spec script and they're just like, all right, sure, you're, you're just out of college, you're just in college, let's do this. And that bit they toss in at the end with, like, Noelle not being human, and then, like, you know, they have Gauch bring it up, and then everyone's in the robot like, oh man, Noelle's not human, why didn't he tell us? And then Goody's like, wait, y'all didn't know? I thought we all just knew that. So like, good. That was just the icing on the what is Noel doing in this arc cake. It it adds so many potential layers and also does the thing where like that a good cliffhanger will do where you and your Sentai watching people just spend that week just like okay, so is he a gangler? No, no, that wouldn't that would suck. That wouldn't make sense. But but what el- what else could he be? Is he like a living collection piece with a human face? Is he Lupin the Fourth? It just 
spinning round and round like that, and like that's fun. And especially since they're going to actually give the 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 solution to that mystery at the next episode, that's great. I love I love a good week long cliffhanger mystery, especially when they're not like, oh yes, we have the mystery here. No, we are not going to tell you the solution, but we have a mystery. Chase after the mystery, yeah. I don't know why Magic Brian is my voice for that, but dang, I like a Magic Brian voice. I do love our good friend Magic Brian bringing in the our mystery hate. He's look, he, he's very mysterious, is Magic Brian. Even though he will tell you everything about himself, he's from New Elphington. No, he's not. Taco is from New Elphington, but uh, anyway, he had the, he had a lovely accent, yeah. And then, you know, rolling that into 44 and, you know, from Good Striker bringing that up, I appreciate that Good Striker doesn't just tell the Lupin Rangers everything. And, you know, he's just like, okay, well, I'll bring you to Noel and y'all can talk to him about it. Because it's small and maybe on a narrative level they thought that this whole backstory would have more impact coming from someone who doesn't have a cartoon character voice. But also, it's not Goody's story to tell. And I'm glad that he respects Noelle enough and respects their friendship enough to be like, hey buddy, it's time to let them know what's going on. Honestly, like, it must be only his extra superlative goodness that keeps Goody from accepting the title of bestest striker. Not merely the best striker, the bestest striker. Because, like, you know folks are lining up around the block to call him that, because he's a good, good boy. Because, like, look, I will I will say, for sake of argument, that there are probably ways to give away someone else's painful and complicated past in a way that is respectful to everyone involved. But uh, if I'm honest, I ain't never seen it. <laughs> I couldn't imagine how to do it. I mean, like, the the way that Kogure elaborates on things, I thought was pretty decent. Yeah, yeah, but still, that's that's only after you know what's going on. Yeah. And even at that point, like, it is also partially Kogure's story to tell. Yes, it is. Which, I kind of like that hey, Kuguri's got some stuff going on too, and it's nice that we could tie that all in. Yeah, and, you know, he's like, hey, this is what's going on with us. I'm part of this too. Here's this. Here's the book. I'm gonna just back off for a while. And y'all can decide from here how you want to feel about us. But either way, please, like, here's the book. Please just do the thing. But it's all up to you. I am a little disappointed that the backstory is like, oh, we're just descended from, you know, people who lived in the other dimension and got driven out by the gangler. Because that feels a little out of left field. But I guess I'm also glad that, you know, Noelle isn't directly a gangler, because that wouldn't feel right to me. And I'd be way more disappointed if that was the case. Like, if they were just gangler who got driven out. Yeah, I, I just, it wouldn't have worked. Though that said, like, I, I I do dig on how the, just, it's some folks who look completely human and blend in seamlessly with humanity were kicked out of this place, which just, like, first off, makes me think that they probably have some awesome monster forms. Yeah, see, I was, I was wondering, and I was thinking about bringing that up, like, if it was, like, your Gokadger theory... I, I maintain, because 
they come from a monster people dimension. And not to get all, like, hardish sci-fi, but that, you know, sapient beings, are, there's not that many evolutionary niches for them. So, like, I'm guessing they just do the transformation. Not to mention it would explain where the the gangler got the idea to do the transforming from, right? Why would they need to develop a weird mask system unless they got inspired by that? Also, on top of that, I just want to throw out, I dig that this is a refugee explicitly. Like, I think they might even use the word. If not, it is the same thing. But it is a population of refugees getting some love from this story, and that we see that Arsene Lupin is more than happy to give some aid to refugees when, presumably, the state, not being entirely aware that this uh, refugee population even exists, because, again, they look very human, isn't, like, helping. So uh, I, I can't help but feeling that's Kaneko and, and probably also Kimura, because, you know, the head writer is involved somewhere. Uh, but they're they're having some stuff to say in those plausibly deniable ways you sometimes gotta do to discuss the politics of the moments in children's television. Because a lot of awful people are really mad about the presence of refugees, and um, no, you don't, like, no. If, you, if you've got a problem with refugees, you... You can really just stop listening to this show. You can you can leave. You can go to hell. Like we we know what our politics are here. Yeah, yeah. If, also, if you I'm... hadn't guessed by now, hey, here's here's a place I I I put my foot down. Also, I do I like this kind of this Noel not being human, circling back to that moment where Kater's like, no, no matter what's going on, you are human, so we're going to help you. Yeah, that's uh. That's intense. So it's like, he may not be technically human, but, but he's, he's a person. person. He's yep. a, he, no, like, regardless, he's a person and he deserves help. And again, that adds on to that, like, he's a refugee, or he's descended. Yeah, his, his parents were refugees. Why you got a problem with refugees, man? And they're, and even, even with that, and... You know, because of it, not in spite of it, he's still a person who deserves help yep. from people. And and no less than Arsene Lupin came out and did that helping. Yeah, and I mean, like that is now explicit text within the show. Like, you, is you that can like, try and hey, deny hey, it, you, you from this refugee population, you are a person, and we will help you. Which uh, that's that's real good. It's real good. The, as much as I'm a little disappointed of the root of the story, just because it feels a little weak. It, it, I mean, it did come out of nowhere. Like, it just, it feels a little weak. Um, but y'all know how much of a big dang sucker I am for found family narratives and parents' narratives and kids doing their best to live up to and protect a parent, or even better, a found parental figure. Yeah. So that whole story of Lupin taking in Noel and teaching him everything he knows about his people and the collection and how he can, you know, be involved in this, and Noel's goal being to bring back the father that the ganglers took from him, that got me right in the heart guts. Yeah. That's for real, dude. That is real. Just, and, you know, just 
Kogure telling that story and then that fade to Noel holding the, the big dumb train gun that's the first thing that Lupin ever gave him and just kind of putting his face down on it because it's, it's this physical representation of his father figure. That's just ripping the heart guts right out of my body. Yeah, dude. It's, it's real good. Also, it, it means that on, on like the symbolic level, uh, Noel wants to do the kind of thieving that Lupin would be proud of. Dude wants to steal a life back from death. God, and, that's so um, good. That is that is some epic stuff. That is that is the kind of over the top thieving I'm here for in this show of cops and robbers. Because fine, whatever you're gonna you're gonna like have your fight between you. No. I want the Lupins to steal from death and the Pat Rangers to arrest the devil. Which, I mean, basically that's what they're going to be doing. Because, uh, yeah, DeGranio, uh, he ain't, as as the kids say, messing around. Not anymore, he's not. Oh, oh, before we go any further, I uh, because I know you are a big fan of the openings, I noticed... Destra's shadow isn't in. I know the... they take oh. Destra out, and like you can, you can kind of see the spot where he's supposed to be, and he's yeah. just gone. And I'm like, oh, it's just blank. my the heart. Big shadow isn't there. Gosh's is still there. His ain't. I'm like, how dare you make me care about Destra three seconds before you kill him? Honestly, I think. I mean, okay, it was three seconds before, but it was also like at the end of the episode, just like, no, get out. I'm drinking alone. And he just, just pours just, one out for his bro. Oh, uh, it was... That's the kind of emotions I want to have about a villain, but I want them all the time. Yeah, like, sure. Do I, do I still know they're a villain? Yes. But do I still know they're the bad guy? Yes. Are we going to say, oh, but secretly they're good? No! <laughs> but also we can appreciate that he has an interiority and love. And that makes him... That makes all of the evil stuff he does even worse. Like even even when we do, do even when we do something like that, and I'm sorry to keep circling back to Goanger, but I've been watching Goanger with a friend, and like that's kind of a thing that Goanger does. Not like oh, we had the these kind of good intentions in what we were doing, but we were definitely doing it in a way that hurt everyone, and we're kind of okay with that because we care more about us than y'all. Like it's still just it's like. No, we're not great people. We're we're fine with the fact that we did some pretty bad stuff. Even if, you know, it's something that was good for us because we were trying to like essentially we are refugees trying to make this place livable for us. Uh but we did it in some we did it in a pretty bad way. Well, they're, and, they they you know, they did we're it. We're kind of sorry colonizing way yeah like we're we're sorry ish about it but it's we're what we thought we had to do got hurt we're not sorry for doing it yeah like eh. and then you know after that they're you have the them showing up in shinkendra where they're like mm, we don't really want to do any of that anymore though now we just want to get drunk we just like we died we're fine and then you jump to go on for ten years after, and they're like, "We're machines. We rebuilt ourselves. We're Honest, fine." 
And we're gonna live in this dimension full of garbage, which is essentially what we wanted anyway. Found a place to go. Go on, Jury's very silly, and I love it. It just also makes me think of watching uh, the Netflix Castlevania series, where I'm just, I'm looking at that and I'm like, is Dracula wrong here? Yeah. Do I get it? Yeah. I mean, look, he he gave them a year to get out. Yeah, see, that's the thing, like, he wouldn't have had to do any of that if they didn't just completely at random murder his wife. Yeah. And then you're just and like... like, sure, a lot of people had nothing to do with that. But also he gave them a year to leave, and they threw a party about killing his wife. Yeah, here on the day of the... Here's the year anniversary of after we did that thing, and he just like, oh, y'all are still here. <laughs> I'm sorry, did you think I was playing? I feel like maybe they shouldn't have thrown a party about yeah. killing his wife. Yeah, like, at least, at least, like, go to her home village and, like, build a statue of her and be like, hey, this time we, uh, we really biffed it. It, it sure is bad that she died. We sure feel bad that they did that. Yeah, uh, this guy who we excommunicated, he, he burned her at the stake and he was wrong and bad. Well... Why didn't you stop him? He's wrong and he's bad. It's like, he had, he had power over all of them. They could, like, no one really had, no one, the general populace didn't really have the means to stop him. But, you know, they could have all then risen up and been like, Hey man, you got Dracula really angry at us. We want you out. We're gonna pitchfork and torch you right out of the country. Then, you know, build a memorial to her, preserve what's left of the house, and then when Dracula shows up, be like, hey, we're real sorry that happened. We really had no means to stop it, but we definitely got rid of that guy. And then he'd, he'd still kill half of them, but you gotta feel like there's a part where he's like, alright, well, I gave you a year, and instead of leaving, you took care of the problem. Some of you can live. Only some of us? Well, you know, he'd probably just kill all the people who were involved in the church that were still around. I feel like any general townsfolk who were the people that Lisa wanted to help, he'd probably be like, okay, okay, y'all. I mean, there was that one lady, that, that one old lady. I was, I still always like the bit where she's like, oh yeah, they're burning her, but I won't, I won't be happy about it. I'm not going to celebrate it. They're awful for doing this. And he's just like, where's it happen? Great. You get to live. Get out. Now. So you get as far away from here as possible. I, I really want, to, I just wish there was like a post-credits thing or if they have a season three, there's just that lady in her new ha in her new home far away where she's just like, no, no, Mr. Tepish told me to leave and I left. Why are you telling us this story, Grandma? Because when a scary guy just starts weeping blood and tells you to do something, you do it. But Grandma, doesn't that mean he's the devil? The devil didn't kill me that day, did he? You you don't know anyone back in that town. I did. Oh, well, where are they now, Granny? Again, they're all dead. Uh, Sorry, dear listener, that was probably a little longer tangent than I meant. But also, I really like Netflix Dracula. I couldn't tell you if it was good. I can only tell you it hits all of my buttons. 
As as someone who had never played a Castlevania game in my life, um, knows no Castlevania lore, and was sat down to watch both seasons in one sitting, it's good. Okay, cool. Uh, like, all I can do is judge that show on its own merits. Good, that's, yeah. And, because I have no... I have nothing else with that franchise. I have no other connections to it. I very much enjoyed it and thought it was very good. And Lisa, I'm killing our boy is just part of my vernacular now. It's fair. It's fair. It's good. It... Anyway, um, but let's let's get back to uh, the show at issue. I just, uh, you know, we, we talk about bad guys getting defense and anyway. I mean, Dracula. again, like Gekki Ranger... Like all of it feels like all of the best shows have that kind of nuance within their villains. Yeah, I. I, I mean, even it. even if Gokai, it, no, because I mean, Gokaiger had all of the Sid stuff and the with the Barazorg stuff, and then you've got Bosco. Shalesto. Yeah, but I mean, like y'all know how I feel about Bosco. Yeah. <laughs> but on a narrative level, like it's all there. And it's all real good, because Marvelous has got that emotional investment in Bosco, so so do we. But I also just want to punch him in the face. Mr. Tabasco I mean, Ghost Pepper, get out of my house. He's a house. spicy boy. Get this spicy boy out of my house. But uh, circling, circling back to Lupot again, before I start talking about Sentai villains, because that's a thing I'll talk for years about at a time, if I'm not stopped. I touched before a bit on... That moment between Tsukasa and Sakuya working through, you know, their hurt. And I, I just want to go back to it because I love it because, like, they're so hurt by the fact, like, even the concept of Noelle betraying them. Even though, like, in their guts they know there's no way it's even possible. And they, they can't, they won't believe it. They know that it's not right. But, you know, Sukasa trusts Satoru. He was her partner. She worked with him. She knows he's a good cop. And Sakuya trusts Sukasa. Like, this This was the partner of his two partners. They, they've told him all these things about Satoru. Of course he's going to trust him. But it's Noelle. And after all they've been through, how, how could all of this with Noelle been a lie? And their belief in Noel causes them to sit down and examine the evidence and the examination of the truth of the facts and not just their relationship to both people involved causes Satoru's lies to immediately fall apart because he was banking on them just listening to him and agreeing because he's a face that they trust. This this dumb jerk underestimated that these are the best dang cops who ever lived because he's just using Satoru's face and not his brain. Seriously, though, just, I love that whole, hey, wait, let's think about this for exactly 20 seconds. I, I say exactly, I meant it. Anyway. Um, but, and, and not only that, but we get to see all of the, the flashbacks and the callbacks to the previous cases. That That was such a welcome moment for me. I like the the little tie it all together moments. Yeah, like they're like Sakuya just brings up like, oh, but this case is before he even came here. She's like, well, he was just leaking it in the France headquarters, and then she's like, wait, wait a second, 
why would he leak something to the French hench quarters that he was just telling them anyway? That doesn't make any sense at all. It's like, so it couldn't have been Noel. Like, it's just, it was such a good moment of them being like, no, the facts don't line up with that guy's story. So our guts were right. We, we know that Noel is our friend because the facts. And then, they you know, they, they go and confront him and there's just that whole moment where, like, they catch Satru in the lie and then Noel shows up to save them from him and it was just, it was such a well-filmed moment. It was so cool. Just, you know, him throwing the card in to break up the, the control and then you see the card fall down the screen and as it passes, there he is. Yeah. And he's just standing there looking too cool for any of this. Yeah, just, hey guys, I can see you've regained your faith in me. Here's where I prove how right you were to have it in the first place. Just such a cool moment. Oh, it's so good. And, and like, it's one of those ones that feels earned. Because a lot of times, and yes, I am talking about Q-Ranger, they just tell you that the, that the extra guy is just cool and great, and you should just appreciate how cool and great he is. But this one, I I always feel like they've earned it. Which is impressive, because a lot of times it feels like they don't bother. You know? Yeah. And also, like, just in this same it's, again, scene... Again, again, oh. go on, Jar. Yeah, I've, I've heard. I, I'm sorry, folks, I hate the go-on wings. And Ranger. Oh, Aubrey Killer. It's like, oh, we, you should you should feel bad for him and like him, and he's so, like, he's hurt and redeemable, and I'm like, mm, cool motive, still murder. Yep, but sort of, like, to keep on in this scene, though, the whole setup and the fight with the puppeteered bodies of the Pat Rangers, that was, that was really sick, dude. I, I yeah. loved it. And especially, I love a good everyone points guns at everyone moment, because that is that is some good tension in this children's adventure show. It's, it's such a good moment because for a hot second I didn't quite process what was happening until the motion stopped and you can see them trying to put their arms down and they can't. Mm -hmm. And that's when the entire arc just comes together. Yeah. It's just in that moment you know everything that's been happening for the past two episodes. Yeah, it's such a, a great culmination moment. And, and like, also I just want to say that I've never been so glad that those guns were giant chunky plastic. Because, again, seeing as the prime audience is eight-year-olds, seeing these people pointing some real guns at each other's faces might be a bit much. Because, I mean, gun the gun seems to have a much more appropriate, I would say, a sort of sense of fear and awe in a lot of Japanese media that I've seen. Because, I mean, someone holding one to your face is like, hey, if their finger twitches wrong, you you are dead. Or at least in years of hospital. <laughs> like, it doesn't... It, anyway, just... It's one of those things that you can do with a cartoony design and, and, like, just big, chunky white plastic that you just cannot do with more realistic props. And the older it's I get, the definitely, more... definitely, like, in my head, replacing them with real guns. Like, that's a that's a level of anxiety that I'm like, oh, no, yeah. I can't handle that. Yeah, like, no. I, I can't handle these three, like, most lawful, good people in the world 
have being in that situation with real guns. Yeah, no. Like yeah. With, with their fake cartoony guns, I'm like, oh, this is good tension, and now the whole arc comes together and everything makes sense. And that's just like, no, please leave these guys alone. Please yes. don't hurt them. Oh, you know, that's that's like you want to like start crying and like, I'll give you anything, just let them go. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where the older I get, the more I've come to reflect on how a lack of realism is a strength in a lot of media. And it's 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 a thing Tokusatsu has known for a while, for like as long as it's existed, really. But this is just one more example of it. It's, it's very yeah. nice. Uh, speaking of of high tension mm. and good things that happened in that moment, I'm so terrified that I was right on track with their disguises being made from humans they've captured. Mm-hmm. And seeing I, I as think, uh, Zamigo yeah. was the one he was directly leaking things to, I'm still really betting heavily on Zamigo being the one capturing people and selling them off to Gosh. Cause and I mean they had they set this up really nicely in forty four when they're looking at like Tokugil's disguise and Toma's like hmm and they're like what what he's like nothing I just feel like that's a guy that he just looks real familiar to me and it's it's actually a moment that kind of skated by me on my first watch I didn't really think about it but coming back to this arc after having that explicitly stated I'm like oh. That's just maybe a dude he's seen on the street or who came into his restaurant or something. Uh-huh. That Zamigo got. And, you know, Destra knew the Lupin Ranger's identities. And Narizuma was hiding within the police and therefore would have access to the information about them that the Pot Rangers know about who who is missing in their lives. We know Zamigo took those three people. And if the gangler put two and two together, well, that's just the sort of heartbreaking stuff a Sentai does within its last few episodes, ain't it? Yes, Sono. Yes, it is. Because, like, look, are you ready to rock? And by rock, I do not mean, like, play uh, aggressive music very loudly. I mean, like, sort of curl up in a corner and just sort of rock back and forth and maybe, like, tap the back of your head against a wall because that's a load of anxiety that's building. Just given how much emotion is almost certainly going to be just curled up into a fist and then just launched at rocket speeds into our stomachs. It's just the instant we see one of the actors for Aya or Shiho or Kairi's brother, my uh-huh. back is going to go right up and I'm not going to be able to breathe until I know they aren't a gangler in disguise. Uh-huh. Because man, that sure is what we've just set up. Yep. It, like, it has to happen. Especially since we already had that bit where they were in the, the Lupin trap and they had to shoot their, you know, their relations, the, the people they're here for. And I really just want there to be a bit where we see Kyrie just not be able to do it. Because I know we're playing him as being, like, morally gray and, like, the heir of Lupin, whatever. You know, this was, this was him shattering his chains, but... Yeah, no, because, like, he knows that one is fake. Where, like, faced with the actual, like, something made from his brother's body. Mm-hmm. Especially since at that point, there's just going to be the question of, well, look, if you kill this mask, do you have any confidence that you aren't hurting the real one? Well, at this point, the we have uh, Narizuma bringing up, like, 
the person the mask is made from is dead. Yep, that's true. So, like, at that point, if any of them are made into the mask, can you get them back? Uh-huh. But I guess that's the Lupin, wi- the Lupin Collection wish, which, boy, stealing all kinds of things from death. Which, again, yeah, I'm here for the, it. The tension is high, and I'm so into it. Yeah, I'm same. scared. I'm terrified, but I'm so into it. Yeah. But it's again, I, I feel like this is all very high concept for eight-year-olds. <laughs> I mean, look, when you put it that way, and again, like, this isn't us saying eight-year-olds are dumb, it's just there are certain stages of, of like, psycho psychological and social development that you have to get to to appreciate this kind of thing. And maybe it's it's a bit much for an eight-year-old. I don't know many eight-year-olds, so I couldn't say. But just whatever. I just also want to throw out that while it's hard to know where credit is due, because I want to give credit for all of this anxiety that they are definitely building up in me, Kimura's structure does feel strong, and this time through it, it works, because, like, look, we can leave deeper discussions of preference for when certain beats might happen. Like, that's for later. That's for after it's all said and done. Um, but the the structure is there, it's strong, and even Kaneko Kaori's started coming around, and I just I just want to say what I said at the top of the show, this is some good, good Sentai. It really is. But now we'll, we have briefly mentioned the Lupin Collection, so let's get into the, the Lupin Collection pieces that we got this week. Okay, we got three this week. Tokugiel's stolen piece that was then ended up with Narizuma is Abare Killer's Sword, uh, the Wing Pentact, which is a perfect choice for a piece that can literally puppet people around because, frankly, that's all Abare Killer metaphorically ever did in Abaranger because, as I've mentioned many times, and even within the last ten minutes, he is the actual worst. I, look, I love when things are both appropriate to the thing they're doing and the character who owned it. That's that's really nice. And me, this this piece you see was called The Master of Puppets, and this will surprise nobody, but I was having such a nerd moment the moment I saw what it was called, because uh, the French name, the Maître de Marionettes, I know Maître means master, and marionettes, well, that's a kind of puppet. And I had a prompt freakout, because, look, I was one of the kids in the back of the Denny's dressed all in black at 1.30am. I definitely know a Metallica title when I see one. I know what I'm about. Tokugil's second piece that was he believed was given to him by Noel, but was not, uh, is based on Five Man's Super Five Ball, which is a deep cut. Uh, yeah. That took a lot of digging through old Sentai weaponry to figure out what that was, because I did not recognize the five-man logo slapped right onto it, because frankly, I keep forgetting five-man was even a thing that happened. I mean, look, I, I and I say this as someone who admittingly has not seen the series, and maybe if I'd seen it, I would stop, like, confusing it with, like, Change Man and, like, Sun Vulcan and a bunch of other things. Because, look, the designs are some of the most generic in Sentai, which... Like, I look at them, and I only see all the... a ton of looks that would come after. I, even even on the red, like, there's some Turbo Ranger there. It's just... it's all... or Car Ranger. Research. Anyway, 
Turbo <laughs> Ranger is a thing. Okay, it is. I, I couldn't, for some reason in my head, I'd forgotten if there was a... Anyway, it's just... So that may just be the name of a sixth, or is there an actual Turbo Ranger? Okay, there is, yes, there is. There's a Ko- Kosuko Sentai Turbo Ranger. They are different than Car Ranger. I thought so, not sure. Also, like, I look at Turbo Ranger, their suits are not entirely that different from the from the five-man suits, I'm just saying. Again, it's it's not that they are not distinct at all, it's just that they blend. Anyway, um... The piece itself uh, is called The Elastic Heart. It shares its name with a song by an artist called Sia, who I don't really know. I am not always very caught up on music. I went looking around to see what else it could be. That's the only one I was finding. Um, However, of note, as you will see in the As Mentioned on the blog post, uh, the video for this song guest stars Shia LaBeouf, famous for weird attempts at art plagiarism, shoving a Nazi one time, good for him, uh, and also being good-natured enough to show up in a music video which called him an actual cannibal, which uh, will also be in the as-mentioned, because, look, if someone calls you an actual cannibal and you still show up to have, like, a good ha-ha at yourself while the song is, like, how they kill you, like, just terribly, admittingly because you were trying to, you know, you caught their leg in a bear trap and were going to eat them, um, look. Actual Cannibal Shia LaBeouf is quite fun. It is. It is. It's a really, it's a fun song. It's a great video. I love the performance. I'm just saying it, that, that takes either a ton of ego or just the right amount of ego. Somewhere in the middle. Well, no, look, I you give, can't have something in the I middle. I give but. Shia LaBeouf a lot of credit for his career because he started out as a Disney Channel actor. Yeah, and look, let's be real. Ain't a one of them come out not being a little weird, you know? And I feel like of all of them, he's kind of come out the most on top. Because he still has a career, and I don't think any of the rest of them do. Um, I think one of the kids from Zack and Cody... Oh, yeah, no, that's right. Uh, he is in Riverdale. At least I see him on uh, Critical Role-related things. And that tends to mean he's at least, like, a voice actor, or he does, like, little yeah, things here uh, and there. I know one of them is in Riverdale. Oh, good uh, for him. So they, they seem to be doing okay. Good. And I feel like there was something else with another one of them that I was just thinking. Oh, well, I mean, uh, Raven Simone is the other one, but she still exists and has a career, but she's also kind of a yeah, garbage person. Yeah, she's sort of, like, turned from, like, weird into infamous. Because, like, at least Shia LaBeouf, like, if nothing else, you can say, look, one time he shoved a Nazi hard enough the cops got involved. Yeah, so I still feel like of all of them, he's kind of the most on top. Because his career is in the public consciousness and not for bad reasons. Yeah, I mean, like, there's some bad stuff he's done, but still it's like, ah, you know, he's that weird kid who was in Transformers. And, and like, swears a lot and trying to give you motivation with what I think is a fake ponytail, which somehow makes it even more charming. So the the third piece of the Lupin collection that was in this arc uh, was Narizuma's actual collection piece, and that is Hurricane Jura's Shuriken Bat in its sheathed form, particularly referencing its use as a microphone. 
so they, they could use their bats as microphones. That's, I have to say, that's both weird and a little bit awesome. Apparently, like, I'm not super familiar with Hurricane Drew, so just from looking up the shuriken bat, it apparently happened at least one time. And that is what they chose to reference in Lupin Ranger. Well, you know, good on them. I, look, I kind of want to watch Hurricane Drew anyway, so... Did anyone ever finish subbing Hurricane Drew? I have no idea. I hope so. Or Otherwise, not... I guess Shout Factory will eventually get to it. Yeah, I feel like they're not that far off from it. Yeah, I need to. I need to get some more of those. Because I feel like I feel like we're coming up on Time Ranger, yeah, and they, it's the one Time after Ranger. Time. Oh, so they've done Time Ranger, so they're yep. at Hurricane Ranger. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. But uh, anyway, I just I do need to watch that one sometimes. Because uh, yeah, yeah no, it looks once, wild. once Hurricane Ranger comes out, I will. I have to catch up on buying these DVD sets. Yeah, same. And it's, then watch a, them. Pain because it, like, on top of just paying for it, I also have to pay for all the shipping because it's important. Because they, it's not a region free thing, and Shout Factory doesn't have a European division that I've seen anyway. Anyway, um, but the the main thing here is that the the name of the piece, A Million Voices, uh, is a reference to a song by the same name, uh, by an artist called Polina Gagarina, uh, which. Like, the song itself is not exactly my jam, but Eurovision fans may recognize it as Russia's entry in Eurovision 2015. Neat. Yeah. Like, look, I'm, I'm always here to have some schlager in my, in my I'm, sentai. I'm not in, uh, I'm not in Europe, so I know very, I don't know, I've never watched a Eurovision. Do you know the gist? I know roughly what Eurovision is, but, yeah. um, uh, it, I'm not, uh, anyone... super familiar with it, but... Any one of our listeners who who might be curious, basically everyone in Europe just gets together to see, hey, who has the best pop song? It is a weird thing, man. Because sometimes you get some you get some absolutely transcendent stuff. Sometimes you get some bonkers bananas stuff, and some years are just everyone just gives the most normal thing, and it's the worst. One time a Finnish hard rock group who all dress up as monsters won. Bless. And it's it's basically just, everyone just sort of agreed, like, look, they actually showed up to play. <laughs> and they weren't here mocking anyone. They were just like, no, nah, we just want to have uh, our song, Hard Rock Hallelujah, be the thing that wins Eurovision. <laughs> that was the first one I saw, and there's nothing quite like looking at a dude dressed as, like, a demon with, like, little mechanical wings that sort of, like, unfurl in the middle of the performance, which is actually pretty cool. But he's also wearing this little paper hat with a Finnish flag on it. <laughs> it's, it is delightfully absurd. Anyway, uh, if you like pop music, you probably already know about Eurovision. But if you don't, if you do like it and you don't know about it, just look up Eurovision and then just type in the name of a country. There's, there is some weird, wild stuff in there. Uh, so, on that note, is there any, any final thoughts we got here? Um, this was a real good arc. Yeah, it was. I'm super excited to talk about the Christmas episode next time. Oh, goodness, yes. Um, I'm really looking forward to, to what the end of this show has got going on. Yeah, I, I definitely want to see how Lupin will restore amends. Yes. 
Uh, but until that day, uh, for the Toe Network, and specifically for Laser Knees, I'm Aleph. And I'm Sona. And don't get kicked by a horse and die.